If you would, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 37 with me. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Psalm 37 is a psalm of David about the about what God desires of his people as they live among evil. It should be clear to everybody by now that we as believers are living in such times. We are living in an evil and adulterous generation. We are living in evil times. And as we look at the world around us, particularly in America, we are seeing a rapid exponential moral decay of our society, the degradation of our society, coinciding with the unrestrained evil in the human heart. There's an unrestrained evil within the human heart that is just pouring out. And this um, is increasingly on display in our society, in every single facet of society, in every level of the God-ordained restraints that he's put in society, in every level of government, in our legal system, if we look at uh, our justice system, in our educational institutions, in our, in our media, in our culture, um, in the arts, our, obviously our music, our entertainment, and within the church, and if we're honest, within ourselves. We're among evil. We have evil around us and evil within us, and apart from the saving power of Jesus Christ and the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, we too would be among those who are given over to the pervading evil of this generation. This pervasive evil that surrounds us should be no surprise. It really should be no surprise to us that it is getting increasingly worse, it seems, in our society. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy a long time ago, uh, speaking about the end times, the end times being that time between when Christ died or when Christ ascended and when he comes back, he just says in this time, the end times basically, it's going to look like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of what? Lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And sadly, these characteristics have been reflected in so much of our society in increasing measure as of late. And Paul simply says, to avoid such people, the context is that this is going to happen within the church as well as the outside. But nevertheless, it's just a cross-section of society Paul is telling Timothy about. And Paul, after saying all that, explains that he's actually has been persecuted by such people. And to expect much the same, but... He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because the idea is that that is not who we are. That is not how we are. We are light. They are darkness. And he says in verse 13, he says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. From bad to worse, from deceiving to being deceived. And Paul's point is the difficulty that Timothy would face in the last times as a leader of the church, the things that would constantly be pressing upon the people of God would be the sinfulness of mankind becoming more and more and more prevalent 
more and more and more unrestrained, more and more pervasive as the darkness is unleashed. We're kind of entering into the times, I think, like of Noah, where there was only continually evil in people's hearts. And that was right before the judgment of God fell upon the world. Now, I know that as we look out in history, even the last hundred years, things have been quite a bit worse. But we're in one of those cycles of, of birth pains, again. Uh, not necessarily um, of, of the end times birth pains, but symptoms of a, of a world that is coming to a place where God's judgment is going to come upon it. And we now as believers living in the last days, we're seeing that exponential evil play out in our society today. And we see the God-ordained uh, uh, restraints, the, the, the institutions that God has ordained to restrain evil, they are crumbling around us. The institute of government, of family, and of the church. Maybe so-called church. Yay, they got audio at home. Woo. <laughs> hey, welcome everybody. <laughs> Glad you're with us. Psalm 37. Basically, everything's crumbling. That's where I was. But we see the God-ordained institution of government and family in the church succumbing to the darkness more and more and more and as our government leaders become more emboldened in their evil conduct across the board as the family has been redefined, as marriage has been totally obliterated, as the head of the house, the male of the head of the house is no longer the head of the house and, and we are somehow justified in abandoning our position as the head of the house and to go after whatever desires we want, leaving women and children to raise themselves. And somehow, you know, the woman has been raised to the place of, of the headship in a household which is not to be. So it's to be complementarian with one another. God's created us with two different distinct roles that complement one another, submitting and loving to one another. But the, the, the family's under attack, obviously, can go into that in our nation. And the church is increasingly abandoning the word of God for entertainment. Making the church primarily about you instead of him. His glory. You know, when we were children, it was all about us, wasn't it? But hopefully when you grow up, what happens? It becomes about others. And that's what God would seek to desire to do with the church through the word of God is to make us truly love and love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave what was most precious that others might live. So the church has become more of an entertainment thing in, in I say California, sorry, and where we are. I'm not saying all. I'm just saying it's pervasive, right? And as we watch the institution of government and family and the church succumb to sin, evil is manifesting itself exponentially as these restraints are degraded, the society is falling. We're now compromised and we're seeing this. We're seeing this in Seattle, in Seattle and we're seeing it in Portland. We're seeing it in our governor's reaction to these things and, and people's responses to this and somehow justifying lawlessness and, and the, and the uh, abandonment of, of actually protecting the innocent and punishing the guilty and all these types of things that go on, abuse of authority or neglect of authority. We're seeing evil 
it's been incubated in the hearts of men in our society and it's, and it's hatching. It's here on every level. And as we see the collapse of our society in the moral, the moral dark ages, there's a, there's a reaction to this in our hearts. How many of you are ticked off? Okay, okay, good. I was like, two? Okay, never mind, let's go home. Whatever your angle is on all this stuff, however you see the injustices play out, however you see the evil being formed, there's a reaction within the hearts of men. There's a reaction within the hearts of the people of God. And I think, you know, I want to do something about it. Don't you just want to do something about it? Aren't you tired of it? You just want to get going and start reacting and get it done, you know, and let's go fight the darkness. I think we have all been wrestling with this if we really examine our hearts. In the church, God said, is that what's going on? Amen. And this is what's been on my heart. And so brothers and sisters, as, as one who has had it with everything that's going on, as many of you, it's crucial in times like this with more on the horizon that we seek what God says about this and not what we think. Because we are sheep and he is our shepherd. It is so important that we take all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, all of our things that are going on in our hearts and minds and we say, Lord, what do you say about this? What do you say about who I'm to be amongst such evil? How am I supposed to act in my frustration? What am I supposed to do lest we drag his name through the mud by our words and actions? And so turn off the talk radio in your head with me. Turn off the news that's been bombarding your mind and my mind and tune your heart with me to listen to what the word of God says. Your loving father says to you, here in 2020, as we live among evil, Psalm 37, 1 through 11, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. A little different than the wisdom we've been getting, huh? These are the words from our Father. This is food that will sustain us in the times we live in and the times to come. 
This is what we need to meditate upon, church. The word of God for the people of God. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. King David, in his day, saw the pressing evil that was all around in his kingdom. And so he begins the psalm speaking to his subjects. He says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And this is the theme of the psalm. And that the people of God, when they're surrounded by such an evil generation, when they're surrounded by such evil, they have to have the mindset of God in the situation that this reign of evil is temporary. Say it with me. It's temporary. It's temporary. The reign of evil will end. And because of this, because the days of the evildoer and the days of the wrongdoer are going to be done, they're going to fade like grace, David, grass. David commands his subjects, and I would say the Lord Jesus commands his subjects, do not fret yourselves. Do not fret yourselves. Now, I, I first want to say that the first 11 verses of Psalm 37 have 15 commands for us. 15, if you look for them, about what we are to do amongst an, uh, living amongst an evil generation. You can underline them. I'm not going to go ahead and, and, and say this is number one and 15 and all that stuff, but write them down as you go. Meditate upon them. But the first one here is do not fret because of evildoers or wrongdoers. And the word fret here, if we, if we know in English, we think of worry. To worry yourself away. I play guitar and like the frets, they wear away on a guitar. But that's not what the Hebrew word is. The Hebrew word for fret is, is kindled. The idea is that something, is that your anger is being kindled. It is coming, it's a slow burn that keeps getting more and more and more and more. It's constantly agitating. It's, it's building up to a furious burn. The first mention of this word is in Genesis 4.6. You know Genesis 4.6, when the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? That word anger, there is fret. Why are you fretting? And why is your face burned? And we know what happened in the heart of Cain. God rejected his offering. He rejected Cain and his offering. I believe God rejected Cain and his offering because it doesn't make a difference what you offer when you've got that going on in your heart, when you've got anger towards your brother. We still look at the offering and say, oh, it wasn't what Abel's offering was. It wasn't a lamb. And there is a picture there and I get it. But what was truly going on is there was, there was evil in his heart towards his brother. And that evil, that anger, that fretting turned into murder. Unchecked anger. And that's the word picture. The Lord commands us not to fret because of evildoers. And not only that, we're warned not to fret, not to let that anger boil over when we see this evil. He warns us not to be envious of wrongdoers. How many of you are envious of what's going on? They're getting away with so much, I want to have the equal opposite reaction and not pay a price. Anybody else? I'm just saying, it's within the heart of man. We see people operate with impunity in evil and our hearts can become envious. We can, we can rationalize uh, you know, that they're getting away with all this stuff and without consequence and it isn't fair and gosh, I just want to fight back, you know, or whatever it might be. But that's unfitting for us as believers. The Lord wants us to check our attitudes and our emotions because when we fret, when we become envious, it reveals something about us. 
it reveals that we don't have the perspective that God has on the situation. It reveals this about our hearts. David in Psalm 1 says that the wicked are like chaff, that the wind drives away. And in the end, they will perish. They will not stand in the judgment, meaning they're not going to make it out of the judgment unscathed. There will be a judgment that comes down upon them with all the fury of God. And they will not stand the congregation of the righteous. They won't make it to where the righteous are. They won't have everlasting life. Obviously, we get that through faith in Christ and his finished work and his righteousness on our behalf. But the wicked won't make it is the point. This is the perspective we need to have. And obviously, that goes, when we have that perspective, instead of angry, anger in our hearts towards people, we start to have the heart of God that we desire that they would come to repentance like we were enemies of God, right? Big picture there. But instead of fretting in these times we live in, instead of becoming envious, instead of all of that, we are called to verse 3. But rather what? What does it say? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness or feed on his faithfulness or cultivate faithfulness. Instead of our anger being kindled, instead of us becoming envious, trust in him. Church, do you trust in him during these times? I'm asking. Amen. Well, let me ask you a second question. Are you angry and boiled over with anger? Are you frustrated and envious and all these things? Are these things going on? Those two are diametrically opposed, right? Preaching to myself here, amen? (laughs) But we're called to trust in the Lord and his ability to take care of everything that's going on, anything less is sin. And that trust is shown by not fretting and envying, but rather by doing good. By doing good, amen? What does the world do when they don't like something? They fret and they get envious and then they rise up and do something that's destructive or whatever it is. What do we do? We resist that, crucify that because the Spirit of God is in us and then we go do good. We do good. You know, our society is now trained to eviscerate anyone who disagrees with you. Right? Right? just to totally disembowel them, basically. Jesus said otherwise in Luke 6, 27 through 28. Write those down. You need to know them. But I say to you, that's Luke 6, 27 through 28. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So do good. What does that mean? Bless them. Pray for them. Look for opportunities to bless and pray for the people that are driving you crazy. How's that going? That's really trusting in the Lord, isn't it? Trusting him, he's got it so under, under control that you are now free just to be his ambassador to do good, to pray for, to bless. It's difficult. I'm, I'm working through this myself. I'm not perfect in this, and I need to repent. So I'm with you on this. 
Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The idea is that we are not evil, we are of the light. Amen? They cast darkness through their evil. We shine the light through our love and good works in the midst of evil. Do good in these times, church, and dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. The psalmist says, there's several different interpretations. How many of you guys like have something else there? Yeah, it's, it's hard to translate over, but one, one, says, uh, one says cultivate faithfulness. One says feed on his faithfulness. And here in the SV says befriend faithfulness. The idea is that during these times of evil, we're called to stay put. We are called to be unmoved in our trials, to continually depend upon God in the situation we're in, his provision, his providence in the situation. And that looks like all those things, feeding upon his faithfulness, cultivating faithfulness, meaning growing in our faithfulness towards him. Uh, to him, uh, leaning upon him like a close friend. And this faithfulness is befriended and cultivated as we, verse 4, delight ourselves in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Let him be the focus of your life in these times, church. Delight in him. The word idea, uh, idea is here is let the Lord be your joy. Let the Lord be your joy. And that joy isn't burdensome, but it's enticing and, and it's alluring um, in the sense that it's the opposite of heaviness and, and envy. He is the lightness to the weight of evil around us. Amen? Let him be your joy. As we delight in him and he's the object of our joy, guess what happens? He promises to give you the desires of your heart. Amen? He promises you to give you the desire of of your heart. You see, the wicked, what are they ruled by? They're ruled by the passions and the desires of their heart. Thank you, John. The wicked are ruled by the passions of the desires of their heart. Those passions are impure. They're unholy. They're ungodly. They're out of place. They aren't restrained. That's their life. But we pursue who? We pursue, the, we pursue the Lord. We pursue God. We delight in him. And as he draws us to himself, he purifies our desires by his spirit through his word. And his desire is to then give you the desires of your heart. We read that in John 15. Let your word abide in me and I in you and ask what you wish and I'll do it for you. He's speaking to disciples who've made him the object of their life. Delight yourself in the Lord in these times, brothers and sisters. In verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Commit your way to the Lord. That means to roll your life up into his. The word commit here is the word for roll. 
It's kind of a weird Hebrew thought, but the idea is that you're going to roll into or roll away. And the idea of, have you, have you heard that he's rolled away your sins or he'll roll away your iniquity? That type of, that kind of picture in the Old Testament. This is that word, commit. The idea is that our path, the way that we are going in these times is to be given fully to the Lord. We're just rolled up in him. The direction of our life is rolled up in his purposes and his plans and his word. We cast ourselves upon him and trust him. And as we do that, we see him work. We see him act. We see him do what he does. He is faithful. You all know the proverb, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your paths. Commit your way to the Lord. The life that God is calling us to in the midst of an evil generation is one of commitment, meaning abandonment to him, to rolling our lives to his way regardless of what is going on. Not allowing ourselves to become angry or envious and all these other things, being directed by them or by our sinfulness, but by him. Instead, trusting him delighting in him, committing in him. And and really, when you're looking at a person, a believer, who is delighting, who is trusting, who is committing, who isn't fretting, who isn't envious of what's going on, it's going to look weird. Isn't it? Compared to what's going on around us, it's going to look weird. It's going to look out of place as you are so restrained so to speak, compared to everybody else and everything. Know this, church. God will act. God will act. Verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. There's one blazing thing that I'm afraid of in about 15 minutes. That thing. And let me say that it is very, it's, it's the object that is on my mind right now because it is piercing. He says, you know what? Just as the darkness has enshrouded everything that's going on and your righteousness seems so subdued and hidden, and you being reserved and trusting the Lord and not acting and reacting in this generation is just, it just seems like it's covered over. It makes no significance. He says, your righteousness is going to be like that on that day. Your justice is going to be like that on that day. Today's the day of evil, church. It has center stage. But its act is soon going to be over. And the age of the king of light will come upon this world. And you, by grace, through faith in Jesus, will be with him, who is our righteousness, who has declared us clean before him. And the dark will fade, and the age of light will rise up. And your righteousness, that is, your faith, that is obviously through your faith in Christ, shown by the way you've lived under the Lord in these times, though unseen in these dark days, will be rewarded openly by the Lord. And your justice, that is that God will clear your reputation. 
I like what Matthew Henry says. And he'll bring thee out of the d- thy difficulties not only with comfort, but with credit and honor. I love that. Your justice will be known as clear as the noonday sun. Evil isn't going to last. It's in his coming. So verse 7, what do we do? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Wait patiently before the Lord. Meaning not sulking or stewing. But submissively, just bearing what's put upon us now. Knowing what God is going to bring. And again, David repeats himself again because it's important. He's bringing us back to the idea, don't fret subjects. Speaking to them. Don't worry Don't become envious. Rest in the Lord instead. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil. Refrain from anger as we're resting. And forsake wrath. And he has to repeat these things several times. Why do you think? I think David was the guy who went and chopped off people's heads, right? Right? And justly justly so, because he was the government. But he's telling his subjects, that's not your role. Hang back. Trust. The idea here is, don't react in the flesh. Relax. Don't react. Paul echoes this. It says, forsake your wrath, basically, is, is what David is saying. Forsake your wrath. Paul in Romans 12, 17 through 19, he said, repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's not a fighting issue. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the, says the Lord. Repayment for evil is God's responsibility. Tell yourself that now. Repayment for evil is God's responsibility. Repayment for evil for things done to you is whose responsibility? God's responsibility. Yes, we have a justice system. I'm not saying that that doesn't work out. But ultimate justice, ultimate repayment is God's. He is so much better at it than us. He is so much better than at us. He is so much more thorough. We're going to miss a bunch of stuff. (laughs) And we conveniently miss a bunch of stuff about ourselves. Right? Thankful his mercy is really thorough in Christ. He's so much more better at it than we are. Resist the urge to step into his role, church. Amen? Don't let your anger kindle when you've been wronged. Where you see wrong, it tends only towards evil, David says. In other words, there's a very real tendency 
that when we choose to act upon our anger and our envy in all these situations, that we actually engage in the evil that the wrath of God is coming upon. Be careful. It's a slippery slope there. James says to us in James 1, 19-20, Therefore we are to be, what? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to what? Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of us have let our frustrations with the situations boil over in various ways? Anyone? We, we need to repent. And entrust everything that's going on to the Lord. So, James says, therefore, put on, in verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're going to come back to that thought of meekness, but the wicked are the unrestrained. Make sense? The wicked are the ones who aren't governed by God. That's why God has to institute things like government and family in the church. But the wicked are the unrestrained. The righteous are governed by the Spirit of God. They receive with meekness, with restraint and humility, that is, the implanted word of God. We receive God's counsel, which we're doing this morning. Instead of doing what we want, we're saying, God, teach us what you want. And I, you know what's going on in here. Cleanse me of that and make my mind, my thoughts, and my actions line up with what you say, Father. Change me for your glory. And so we are to refrain from anger and forsake wrath because it tends only towards evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, verse 9, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. We don't have to worry that we're going to lose something if we don't do something. Don't have to worry that you're going to lose something if you don't do something. What does it say there? Who's going to inherit the land? Yeah. Those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. It's a lie that you've got to go for, take it by force. The truth is that God will act. Evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait patiently on him will inherit the land. Our actions are not to be fleshly. They are to be spiritual. The warfare that we are to be gauged, engaged in is spiritual. We have spiritual battles. Ephesians chapter 6, read from verse 10 on about the, armor, the battle we're in, the, 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 the true battle we're in. It's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. We need to be engaged in, in prayer, church. In the word of God and encouraging one another. And the way we fight is that we proclaim the word of God to people. We pray for people. We, we shower them with kindness and love and mercy just as God did with us in our sinfulness. And the spirit of God perhaps would call many to repentance through the church, amen? But the Lord does the cutting off of evil. We are to wait and by waiting, that means all that we've just heard. Not fretting, not being envious, but rather trusting the Lord, doing good, befriending faithfulness, delighting in the Lord, committing our way to him, being still before the Lord, waiting patiently for him, refraining from anger and forsaking wrath. You see, these are the marks of the life of one who has been born again. Those are the fruits of a good tree. 
A good tree bears good fruit. It's a life that resists giving in to the pull of the world and the devil and our flesh. It's a life that's submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and we trust in him patiently for him to act. And he will, verse 10, in a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. He's saying, you're, if you just, you're not going to be able to find evil. Isn't that wild? And that's really what heaven is. It's the absence of evil. It's not around you, and it's not in you. It's gone. You're not going to be able to find it. If you look carefully, it's going to be gone. Can't wait for that day. And I know I'm talking about the evil around us. You know I talk a lot about the evil within, right? But he says there, you're not going to be able to find it, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance. The meek shall inherit the land. We know that Jesus repeated this in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. But the meek shall inherit the land. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus is the meekest man. It's authority under control. And for us, it's being under the control of the Holy Spirit. The wicked's end is anything but peaceful. They're going to have everlasting torment. That's why we preach the gospel that many would come to repentance and be saved. But for the meek, we shall inherit the land and delight themselves, delight ourselves in the abundance of peace. So much peace, you can't handle it. You can't take it. Just peace. We don't even know what that's like. Just total peace. That's the kingdom. We have a king who is the king of peace. And he's going to establish that. Amen. Beginning in our hearts and then to this world and in the age to come. Peace without end. Church, our end is peace. We will inherit the land because of the grace given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. His day is coming. His wrath is going to come suddenly upon the earth, upon the darkness. But as Paul wrote in the, to the church in First uh, Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11, it says, but you are not of the darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. In other words, you're born again. We are not of the night nor of the darkness and so let us not sleep as the others do, as the world does. Sleep meaning engaging in darkness. And he goes and explains, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to they, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, sorry, the breastplate of faith and love and, and for a helmet of hope sal- of salvation. And so he's just saying, listen, we're not of the darkness that is going to, the wrath of God is coming upon. We're of the light. Don't go to sleep. Don't act like the world. Act like the kingdom you're from, if that's truly who you are. Verse 11. 
Why? Since we belong to the day, why are we sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation? For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether COVID gets us or doesn't, whether this overcomes our city, whether it's World War III in three months or not, whether we all die from something or not, whether we're awake or we're asleep, we might live with him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Continue in love. And with that, we come to our time of communion. There's a lot that's been said. The Lord Jesus has, through his blood, through his shed blood, spared us from the wrath. He has conveyed us by his sovereign grace from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. These are symbols of that victory, of that sacrifice that he's made for us. Loving his enemies (laughs) who were far off. Paying for the evil that we've had against him and against the Father, against God. Thoroughly taking it all upon himself that we would be forgiven, and not only forgiven, changed into his likeness. That God would dwell within us now, and that now we are partakers in his divine nature. And if we're partakers of his divine nature, that should show in how we live among evil. What a grace we've been given, amen? So, We just want to pray and thank the Lord together as we take communion together. Remembering that this is the body, symbolically, that has been broken for us. Amen? That this is the blood, picture of the blood that has been shed to take away our sins that we would be new in Christ Jesus, that we no longer have to be angry. We're no longer called to anger or envy, but we can now trust in the Lord and delight in the Lord in these times and have great joy in him knowing that he has got a plan and we've read the end and it's victorious. Amen? Rest in him, church. He's done the victory. Rest in him in these days. Submit Fall fully upon him. Roll your life into his. Take a deep breath and enjoy the loving provision and just total providence of of your Father in heaven. So Father, as we come before you, we repent. Lord, where we have been... um, letting our anger overflow, Lord. I know we like to justify it by saying it's a righteous anger. Lord, we don't even know what's going on in our own hearts and we just confess that to you. And Father, we confess 
our enviousness and we confess the things that come out of our mouths and the actions and the things we say and the things we want to do, Lord, and we just, we just repent before you. And we want to thank you for the provision for our forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We want to thank you for the life you've given us. And so, Lord, we receive that forgiveness and we remember you and the sacrifice you've done. Let's take the bread together. And the blood that was shed for us on Calvary, thoroughly cleansing every single sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, we praise you. Thank you for cleansing us. Lord, help us to walk as those new people, that new race, that new generation, full of love and good works, just waiting for your return. So thank you for the blood, Lord, that was wiped out all of our debt. Let's take the cup now. We worship you on this Sunday morning, remembering that you rose from the dead. Not only was the price paid, not only were we declared just before a holy God, but we've been given new life. You rose from the dead, Lord, and we want to rise in newness together and walk out of here with the chains of whatever we were thinking before just falling off to the floor. And so, Lord, thank you for the new life that we get to walk in today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.